Thank you, Brother Jeremy, and it's, uh, it's really an honor to be with you. Thank you for allowing me to come and, and share something from the Word of God with you today. And I'm just, um, I've just been looking forward with a great sense of anticipation. Uh, I remember your church from a lot of years back, <clears throat> and I didn't remember, remember until today that I knew your, your first pastor, Fred Clifford. It was a good friend and a great, great man. And then Brother Dean... Uh, became a friend when we were students together at Piedmont. Now, he was uh, three years ahead of me at Piedmont, but I remember him. We weren't close friends, but we were friends, and I thank God for him, and I thank God for the ministry he had here and the ministry he had with Word of Life and um, all God's done through him over the years. So to reconnect with him today, that really blessed my heart. I really enjoyed that. Jeremy and Allison are special to me. Yeah. When... When I was at Piedmont, the students who came, I assumed they were my children. They didn't assume any such thing and didn't want to be any such thing, but I just claimed them as my kids, and Jeremy and Allison are like my own children, and I, I thank the Lord for them. You are blessed by the Lord to have the under-shepherd that God placed at Community Baptist Church, and you are honored to have this man of God. I've traveled a little bit in my day. The number of pastors available today is thin. They're scarce. And the number with his skill and his vision and his fire that burns within him and the way he leads you is rare. And you are blessed. And I call it an honor to call him my friend. And I respect him. And I love him. And it's just great to be with him today. But it's great to be with you. Yeah, thank you for the privilege of coming. I enjoyed so much the fellowship before the service, and I enjoyed as well uh, the music of the morning and, um, and those, uh, those photographs. Some of you were a little funny looking back in your younger years. <laughs> it was really great to, to be with you on this particular day. I want to talk about change. God is a God of changing people. The Bible still says that all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new when you are born again and you become a son or a daughter of the living God. But God wants to change you into a life that is productive, a life that has some meaning, a life that accomplishes something, a life that leaves behind when you're gone lasting fruit, which you will be blessed to enjoy for time and for eternity. God is a God who is just working daily within your life to make you productive. Judy and I live in Midlothian, Virginia, which is a suburb of Richmond. And we um, also have a cottage, a summer cottage. It's a house I grew up in, actually, over in the mountains of southern West Virginia near Beckley. And we spend our summers over there, and we have a ball. I just love it. I have 20... Uh, Semi-dwarf fruit trees. Now, they're pretty young yet, but they're, some of them are at a producing age now. And I have apple and peach and pear and pawpaw. I didn't want any pawpaw, but my grandkids call me pawpaw, so we selected that fruit and planted a couple of trees or three, actually. It's a strange kind of a fruit. It's a rather uh, oval-shaped fruit, three to six inches long, very, very sweet, and it's affectionately called a West Virginia banana. But anyway, we have pawpaw trees. But that's another one I want to tell you about. We have, we have nine fruit trees. Now, at five years of age, they should producing, be producing some good apples, but they weren't. They weren't doing much of anything. 
So I finally wised up last year and, and beginning in the fall and then again in the spring and through the summer. I did some neat things. I, uh, I tilled a wide circle around all those trees very carefully and very thoroughly. And I fertilized them with the correct kind of fertilizer to make apples grow. And I, um, I put mulch all around those trees and I painted the trunks of the trees. Latex paint, cut half water, half paint. Paint them to keep the insects from burying insects in and the sun from sunburning the bark and those kinds of things and disease out of the trees. And then I, I pruned them a little bit. Not much. They didn't have enough limbs left on them. But I, um, because the deer had been eating the limbs off, every time one grew out they could reach, it was gone. But I had a few little limbs up there and I pruned a little bit and, and then I sprayed them with the appropriate kinds of things more than once and got them all in good shape. And guess what? Had a bumper crop of apples. Beautiful apples, red delicious, golden delicious, wine sap. And we're up there in September, we had to go back to Richmond for a few weeks, and uh, I said, Junior, we're going to leave those apples on the tree for just a little while because uh, they're just not quite ready yet. And when we come back, we're going to make all kinds of apple stuff. Came back, every single golden delicious was gone, every single red delicious was gone, and I got some of the healthiest deer in southern West Virginia. <laughs> now they left the wine sap, they're a little bit tart, they, even they didn't want them, so we have some great applesauce made out of wine sap apples. But you have to take care of the tree if you're going to have fruit. God is, in, is a God who is taking care of his fruit trees to make them productive. Now the Lord Jesus used farming illustrations on many occasions, but Israel was an agrarian society and he selected from the society of that day uh, farming illustrations. Let's use two of them today. One of them briefly, one of them a little more extensively. Would you take your Bibles and open the Word of God to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, and verses 12 through 14. And these are the words in that text. And here in this text is the attitude of the Lord Jesus about fruitlessness. You know, this is the day of the Internet, which I really like and I, and I really enjoy. And, and you can use a search engine, Google or whatever search engine you're using, to find information on just about any subject in the world. But if you want to know the mind of Christ, if you want to know the attitude of the Lord Jesus... You open up the book that God left behind, and it still shares with us that information. And today we look in this text at the attitude of Jesus Christ about fruitlessness in those who say they are sons or daughters of Almighty God. Chapter 11, verse 12. Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. This is the week that we generally call the Passion Week. It's the last week of the life of Christ. By the end of this week, he'll be on a cross, die, be buried, and beginning the first day of the next week, he will resurrect. Palm Sunday's ended. It's Monday morning. 
And he's on his way back to Jerusalem and the temple, and he passes the fig tree. It's in full foliage, and the leaves would suggest there's something there which is edible. But when they arrived, nothing. Commentary from Dallas Theological Seminary for a number of years ago says that, um, by the way, it was roughly April in the spring. In Palestine, fig trees produce crops of small edible buds in March, followed by large green leaves in April. Now, pausing there, it is said the buds were a food for common, ordinary people who would pick those things and eat them. Then with the quote continues, an absence of these buds, despite the tree's green foliage, indicate it never was going to have any fruit that year. And the Lord Jesus arrives with full foliage, no buds. And the Lord Jesus curses the tree. This is his attitude about profession without performance. This is his attitude about hypocrisy. Claiming to be something, demonstrating nothing. The word hypocrite in the, in the original language is the word actor. Pretending. Making a pretext. In context. It's a lesson for the disciples who are with him. It's a lesson about Israel. Israel is a nation which has been super blessed of God, God's chosen people, God's favored people. That nation had not produced the spiritual fruit that God intended for them to produce. And the Lord Jesus is explaining to these who are with him, illustrating to them in a very powerful and vivid way how he feels about a chosen people who have not produced the fruit which he intended. Application. The Lord Jesus is demonstrating through the word of God and speaking to us on this homecoming morning about his attitude towards men and women who say they're sons and daughters of God and in whose lives there's no evidence that there's any fire at all. That was Monday. The next day they pass by again. It's Tuesday. Back to our text in Mark 11. And note please verses 20 and 21 of uh, Mark chapter 11. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw fig tree, the fig tree, dried up from the roots. And Peter remembering said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. And then he continues in his discussion of this moment. Now it's Tuesday morning, and they come by again, and the tree is dead from the roots to the top. It's totally dried up, and it's totally dead. Once we get a glimpse of what Christ has demonstrated through word and illustration, got any doubt about his opinion of fruitlessness? He has no patience with hypocrisy. He has no patience with acting, claiming to be something, but you're really not that at all. He has no patience with fruitlessness. To the disciples on that day, are you listening? Are you paying attention? 
to you and me, Christians, church members, members of the community. Are you listening? Christ wants you to know his attitude, and you don't have to Google it. You just open the word of God. Now we go to a different text. Would you take your Bibles again, please? And this time turn to John chapter 15. We're in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. We have the attitude of Christ about fruitfulness. Not fruitlessness, but fruitfulness. And I want to read the first two verses of John chapter 15, where the Word of God says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit... He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. In those first two verses of the final of John 7, I am statements. I am the vine. I am that woody plant. I am that grapevine. But I am the true vine. And the life of Christ and the work of Christ and the ministry of the Lord Jesus contrasts with that of Israel as a nation which produced no fruit. And in fact, in our day and time, the same thing becomes apparent, that there are some people claiming to be something who are not real. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. My father is the husbandman. My father is the operator of the farm. Israel, you're God's choice vine. He lavished care, he lavished attention, and he longed for fruit, but there was no fruit. Anything produced was degenerate and rotten. Now we have Jesus' attitude unfolding before us about fruitfulness in the next number of verses. In the context, Israel, in application to us. So how do you avoid fruitlessness? which Christ loathes, and become fruitful as Christ desires for your life. God has a plan, and God has a process in your life to bring you to that which he wants to use, and that which he wants to bless, and that which will produce lasting fruit in you. Not just pastor, not just me, not just those fabulous missionaries who come by, not just those in full-time Christian ministry. Not giants of the faith like Brother Dean who so faithfully served God all of his life. But you, all of you, it doesn't matter age. It doesn't matter whether you're a skilled speaker or not. It doesn't matter if you can sing like a songbird or not at all. God has a plan and God has a process to produce fruit in your life. So let's look at how he goes about doing that in the next few verses who give Jesus attitude about fruitfulness. Continuous, careful pruning. Trimming away that which doesn't belong in your life. Trimming away that which doesn't belong in your character. Trimming away that which doesn't belong in your behavior. Trimming away what does not belong in your language. Trimming away what does not belong in 
the way you express words and treat other individuals. The vitriol and the anger and the mean-spiritedness of individuals towards one another in our nation and around the world today is not that which is becoming of a child of God. And the Lord Jesus wishes to prune. So stop complaining while He's working in your life. Praise God that He's still at work in your life. Praise God that He's willing to work in you to make you into the woman of God, the man of God, the young man, the young woman of God who can produce fruit and be productive in life and be blessed in your soul while you're alive and go home to glory. Having done that which God put you on planet earth to do. Pruning is necessary for vines or apple trees. You remove the dead growth. You trim and you shape the tree so the air can get in amongst the branches and the sunshine. And the vine can blossom freely and the vine can produce heartedly. And just as sure as pruning is necessary for a vine or a tree, it is necessary and helpful in the life of a Christian. In Israel, necessary. Amongst the disciples, necessary. For you and me, absolutely, positively necessary. And that process is sometimes painful and difficult to endure. And you wonder, why in the world am I going through this? But when God has finished, it's always beneficial. It's always beautiful. It always produces bountiful fruit with which you can be blessed and those around you will be blessed as well and which God can honor. You'll blossom freely and produce fruit heartedly. I want you to follow the couple of continuums here. Now, I used a plural word, our desires. Here's what we desire. I, I sort of separated them into three things. They're not distinct necessarily, but we desire forgiveness. We don't want to be lost. We don't want to be hell-bound. We don't want to be outside the family of God. We don't want the possibility that our eyes will close in death and we'll not be prepared to face the God of eternity. We don't want to know that we're forgiven of our sins. We want the weight lifted off our shoulders. We want the peace of God to flood within us knowing that we have peace with God. We are born again. We want forgiveness. But we want more than that. We want happiness. Once you're forgiven and the sin weight has been lifted, oh Lord, just let me be happy. Oh Lord, just let me be an individual in life who's at peace. Just let me be in a good place. Just let me be in a sweet place. Just let me be at peace with everybody in my family and those in my world so that my heart is calm before you. I just want to be happy. And once God has forgiven us of our sin and we sort of long for peaceful happiness, and some of that begins to be apparent in our lives and we feel good about what we are, then the natural tendency is start longing for abundance. Ah, it's good. It's a sweet place in life. And then we start thinking as our mind engages and our old nature becomes active and we long for a little bit more in life. We long for abundance. And some people just really seem to be blessed with abundance. Now take your pastor Jeremy. 
Have you noticed how blessed he is? I mean, it's fantastic. He has three daughters. Now, he has a wonderful son, Luke, as well, but he has three daughters. We only had two ugly boys in our house. We never had any girls. <laughs> Actually, we have two little ones in heaven we've never seen. We always believed they were girls. And we have two beautiful granddaughters. But, hey, we didn't have any girls. He's got three of them. But there's even more. He lives in a house with, what, seven plus acres? What is it, something like that? We live in a townhouse. We have seven feet in front of the front porch and seven feet at the back. You know how some guys seem to have everything? And then we gave her last night. We noticed something else. You guys may not have noticed this. He drives a Lincoln. I drove a Kia down here. He's got a Lincoln. Of course, it's not important that my Kia cost more than three times what his Lincoln did used in the shape it's in, but hey, he's got a leak. You know, we want to be forgiven. We want to be at a sweet place in our lives and happy. And we begin to yearn for even more but God. Have you ever noticed God sometimes has a different desire in your life than that which has ever crossed your heart and mind? His way, not your way at all sometimes. God. And I made this singular, God's desire. It's sort of a continuum here that never quits in our lifetime. God wants you to be, no matter whether you are of abundance or nothing at all, a man or a woman who produces fruit. And once you're producing fruit, more fruit. And once you're producing more fruit, much fruit. And he works and he orchestrates those things in your life which will produce precisely that. It is not abundance on the top of his list. It is not your happiness on the top of his list. It is not give me something that I will enjoy on the top of your list. It's fruit. And God is working so that fruit will be produced in your life. And sometimes the things he does in Constant, careful pruning hurt. Now we're up in West Virginia this summer, and we, we do have a little more land than seven feet up there. We have several acres, but, and, and, and I try to work on it and keep it clean. It's really great for me to do that because I need the physical labor. But, you know, that brush and the trees and the briars grow while I'm standing looking at them, and I can't stay ahead of them. It's really, of course, maybe I stand more than I used to, but at any rate, I really have a rough time. But so I'm out there, and I'm cutting brush and briars and little trees. So I saw it. And, do you know that a Baptist preacher and a chainsaw is a dangerous thing? Well, I'm out there with my chainsaw and so on, so on. It's about, oh, maybe five or six inches in, in, in diameter. And I'm, I'm so on a tree, and I did something that none of you guys have ever done before. The tree leaned a little ways, and I caught my chainsaw in there and couldn't get it out. You never did that, did you? Yes, you did. I tried everything. I tried it. I grunted, and I groaned, and... I didn't say any dirty words, but, I, but you know, I, I don't believe I even thought them, but I was really frustrated. <laughs> Finally, I had to call the neighbor and ask him to come over and help me. He brought his chainsaw over and sawed it down so I could get my, my saw out without ruining the blade. And he laughed the whole time. <laughs> okay, Lord, I'm in a hurry today. I only got a little bit of time. It's going to 
something this afternoon. I got it. Judy's got something for me to do. I, I got it. I only have. Why? It's kind of ouch. Something in my character that day, something in me that day, something in my attitude that day needed to be pruned. Another little branch gone that needed to be gone. But it wasn't the end of the story. He comes down my neighbor with a chainsaw, and I stepped out of the way so he wouldn't be sawing me. And I stepped sort of on the edge of, of my neighbor's yard there where, the, where we were cutting the tree. And um, I stepped on a very old board with a big old rusty nail, very rusty nail. And it went through my shoe, and it went through my sock, and it went up into my foot. Now, i gotta, I, I got to quit, turn everything off, and go back to the house, and clean up, and it ain't even Saturday. <laughs> and i got to go to the urgent care center and get a tetanus shot. I'm busy. Can't you see this, Lord? Yep, I see. You have another little limb I need to get rid of right now. And maybe I have to lift a little out of your wallet along the way to help in the process. And a little bit out of your time. And a whole bunch out of your pride. Ouch. And I'm sharing, sharing silly stories with you right now. And you're saying, listen, preacher. Stuff I'm going through, doesn't, that's Nothing. You wouldn't believe what's going on in my life, but God knows. Child of God, are you really born again? Are you really forgiven? Are you really headed for heaven? This process. He's moving you along a continuum and He's designing experiences and He's designing situations which will mold you into the man of God and the woman of God that you really ought to be so that you have fruit and more fruit and much fruit in your life. And when it comes to the end of it, you'll say, hallelujah, God is good. But we go on to this process that God has. Continuous, constant fellowship. Now this one relates to what Jeremy said with the book of remembrance. Continuous, constant fellowship. Got your Bibles? Look at chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, verses 3 and 4. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the divine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Continuous conscious, conscious fellowship with God. Vital communion with Christ. He said to the disciples, you, you're clean through the word. And for you and me, the question mark suddenly leaps off of the, the, the text and the thoughts. Are you born again? We don't want to know anything about how religious you are. We don't want to know anything about what experience you've gone through. Are you born again? Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus? Did you come to that point in your life when you knew you were a sinner in desperate need of change? You could not produce on your own under the condemnation of God. But Jesus died for you at Calvary and shed his blood so that you could have everlasting life. And of your own choice, your own volition, you received Christ as your personal Savior and you pass from death into life. Has it occurred? 
If so, then you're in a vital communion with Christ. But then there needs to be a vital consciousness of Christ. Now the word in verse 4 is the word abide. I'm not an abstract thinker. But to me, the word abide is a bit of an abstract word. I really have a hard time getting a handle on this. You know, wrap your mind around it, so to speak. I really have a rough time. But John loves this word. The Holy Spirit used John to write it 11 times in this chapter 15. He mentions abide. 27, I'm sorry, 40 times in the Gospel of John, he mentions abide. 27 more times in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, he mentions abide. Must be some significance if it comes up all of those times. The Greek word means remain. Continue, keep on, don't move, you stay right there. In fact, having stayed right there, press forward. But can I share with you some of my thoughts about this word? This is not comprehensive, it's just me. But can I show you what it means to me? You bend your life. You spend your days and your hours and your minutes in the presence of Jesus. Consciously aware that he's there. You're changing some of the words that come out of your mouth. You're changing some of the actions that your hands get involved in. You're changing some of the attitudes of your heart, but aware of the presence of Christ. And you walk with him, hand in hand in a sense. Oh, I know he's the pilot and I know you're following, but you know, there's that precious sweet sense when you're in the presence of the Lord Jesus, you're walking with the Lord Jesus. My sweetheart is here with me today and we've been married for 47 years and I love to hold her hand. We stand to sing in the congregation, I hold her hand. We walk down the street, I hold her hand. I'm so blessed to have her hand to hold. She's the crown of my head. Could I ignore her? Could I be rude to her? Could I just go on without her as though she didn't exist? Could I live my life and call on her when it's mealtime? I love walking side by side with the woman God put in my life. And I definitely married above myself. My Lord Jesus walks with me. Sensing the presence of Christ. I walk with the Lord Jesus and that's abiding to me. And I see him. Oh, not with my eyes, not the literal I sight, but I see him in my mind and my understanding, yea, my heart. And I can touch him, not with my hands, my sense of touch. But he's there to be moved by me. When I have a need, and even in those moments I'm being pruned, I can hear him through his word. 
I can communicate with him. And communication requires he speaks and I get what he's saying. Now, Judy and me, it's a, it's a guy and girl thing. You know, you guys wouldn't have any problems like this, but we don't always communicate really well. Uh, I say to her, you know, Judy, there's a particular item. Uh, what store would I find that in? And she says, what would you want to be buying that for? That isn't what I asked. What store? You don't even wear those. I know that. What store? <laughs> well, I don't see any sense in you knowing that. You're not going to use it anyway. Has it ever occurred to you, woman, that Christmas is coming and maybe it's for you? <laughs> you know, we don't always communicate. I'm sure none of you do that. Is it possible that sometimes Jesus, in saying some things to me, in this process of abiding with me, and all I'm doing is arguing with him? Not listening to what he actually asked, nor responding in a way that would be appropriate, but contending. Yes, and abiding would mean the continuing, contending is gone and the communication is occurring. That's it continuous process of practicing the presence of Christ and abiding in the Lord Jesus. When they grew up, our sons were such we always wanted to know where they were. And you know, I, I confess to you, it may have occurred, but I don't ever have any memory of a time when we didn't know exactly where they were. I don't remember a time them being gone somewhere and we didn't know. I'm sure they were into stuff that we didn't know about, but I don't remember. We always knew. I remember the night of the role reversal. Judy and I were out someplace. I don't know where we'd gone. I don't remember. It's been so long ago. And this was the day before cell phones. We didn't have any cell phones. And we had a landline at the house. And, and the boys were at home, and we were out someplace and, and got delayed somehow, and we came home late. They met us at the door. <laughs> and um, so help me. This is what they said. Where have you been? And one of them said, don't you know what a telephone is for? <laughs> now they're grown. One's 43 and one's 39. I don't think there is ever a day we do not know where they are or they where we are. They would have been praying for Judy and me this morning. And we for them, for each of them, would preach the Word of God today, even now. And in their respective pulpits, in their respective places, we know where they are, and we're praying. And what a joyous thought that is. Is God any less concerned about where you are than you are about where your children are? Is he? No! And sometimes he has to stop you in your tracks and correct you. And you learn this process, as abstract as it may be, to abiding in the Lord Jesus. 
And as you abide in Christ and those things take place, you know His presence. You walk with Him. You see Him. You touch Him. You hear Him. You communicate with Him. Guess what happens? The holiness and the greatness of God begin to penetrate your swivel soul. And you become something you never were before. Isn't that good? Don't you complaining at God's pruning process. Quit it. Be blessed by what he's doing and that he's still at work in your life and he's still letting you live so he can work in your life and ultimately through your life. Tuning the conscious mind. Set your affection on things above and he gets you tuned in to what he wants from heaven. Filling your conscious mind. Whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report, if there's any virtue of any praise, think on those things instead of what the devil shoves into your mind. Renew your mind. Be transformed in your being. And suddenly you discover it's not what, but whom I do believe. That in my darkest hour of need hath comforts that no mortal creed to mortal man may give. Not what I do believe, but whom? Who walks beside me in the gloom, who shares the burden wearisome, who all the dim way doth illume and bids me look beyond the tomb, the larger life to live. Not what I do believe, but whom? A final thought. Continuous Controlled fruitfulness. To spread branches and look pretty is not the vine's purpose. And to be comfortable and please yourself is not the believer's purpose. But to become a Christ-like man or woman, young person, and grow and produce, bear, if you continue down to verse 16 of the chapter, bear fruit grows out of your very being, out of your limbs, out of your branches, fruit. The Lord providing the nourishment, but you're growing the fruit. And here's the bottom line. The primary fruit is character. You're never going to do something until you are something. Character. Christ's character lived through you. Our personalities and our appearance are not the same. Here we are sitting in this church today. We're getting ready for lunch and a wonderful fellowship time and this homecoming Sunday. We're not alike. We don't look alike. We're not shaped alike. We don't have the same skill set. Some of us are athletic. Some of us don't have an athletic muscle in our body. And God blesses both and God uses both and they're both of God. But here we are. We're not the same, but our character had better be the same. It is the purpose of the living God to form you and me into a person who has the image of Jesus Christ from head to toe. And everything we do, just like he would be doing it. And this process in making us into that man, woman, young person who accomplishes precisely that, and then there is lasting fruit. Can I just read again verse 6 of this chapter? 
Because now there is a frightening verse. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Well, number one, it's not a matter of somebody being born again and then not being born again anymore because they lost their salvation. That is not what the text means. That would be Scripture denying Scripture, and I'm telling you, Scripture never denies Scripture. What's true in the Word of God is true throughout the Word of God. It doesn't mean that at all. But there are those who are professors, but not possessors. There are those who are Actors, hypocrites, pretending to be something they never were. Pretending to be a Christian, a believer, a child of God, a member of the church. When in reality, a real born-again process has never taken place. They have not been regenerated at all. I don't care what your experience was. Has there been a genuine new birth? Child of the living God. May I tell you just confidently, of my own confidence, I've been a pastor for a lot of years. 52 years of ministry, except for 14 years at the college. Most of that was pastorate. Three years as alumni director. I buried a lot of people. Hundreds and hundreds. Many times I stood before a coffin and I said, Lord, you know, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, there were members here. That came to service a lot. Lord, I trust they're in heaven, but I don't know. I never saw the witness of the Holy Spirit in their lives that one would think would be there if that was a woman of God or a man of God. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, help. I don't know. That's what's here. Homer Heater points out this had actually happened earlier in the evening with the removal of Judas Iscariot <laughs> from their very midst. He was a pretender, not a possessor. Not born again. But among them all, can you imagine? And yet, to do what he did, not to be a child of God, but one quick thought. Just think. You really are saved. You really are washed in the blood. You really are forgiven. You really are bound for heaven. Just think of the sadness and the worthlessness of a man or a woman who goes through the Christian life bearing no fruit for the Lord because you're living for yourself. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you, Lord, for a time in the Word of God this morning, an encouragement of the Word of God in this day, and the challenge and conviction of the Word of God in this day. Thank you, Lord. Father, bless this group as we go now for further fellowship. But, oh, Lord, may the Holy Spirit minister in a way he chooses. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
If you're here this morning, you've heard the truth. There's been a challenge, and we'll reiterate that. Have you been born again? You know for sure if you died today, you stood before a holy God. Are you certain that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If you've never been born again, the opportunity is being presented now. The Spirit of God has been dealing with your heart through this message. You're just being honest before God. God knows. He sees past the mask. He sees to the heart of man. I invite you in this closing moment, surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Call upon His name because His name is the only name given under heaven amongst men by which we can be saved. And so if you've never done that, you've, you've never truly come to the end of yourself and called upon his name, I want to ask you to do that in this closing moment. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, you know the heart of everyone here. You've drawn us here today. Many reasons given to come, but Lord, we know those were simply tools used to bring people to hear your word. To perhaps bring some to come to know you. And so Lord in this moment right now I would ask that those who are children of God. Those who are truly born again believers. Would ask that you cry out to the throne room of grace. Enter in as your dad has said you can come freely. And let's go and let's ask. Lord please draw those that are here this morning that don't know you. Pull on the heart. Lord, pull, pull them to yourself. Let them know that you love them and you demonstrated that love on Calvary. You sent your only begotten Son and you've made a promise that if anyone would believe upon Him, they wouldn't perish, but they could have everlasting life. Lord, you said in your word you're not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Lord, I pray that in this moment there would be those who would repent of their sin. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. If we get what we deserve, we do deserve death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're here this morning and you've never called upon the name of Christ, you've never repented of your sin and placed your faith in the finished work of Calvary, call out to Jesus in this moment. Right there in the quietness of your heart and your seat, God's listening and He wants to hear from you. Lord, forgive us. You know our framework. You know our fallen nature and we're broken people. And you've loved us and don't desire that we would stay in that condition. And that's why you sent your son Christ to die for us. Even while we're still in our sin, Christ died for us. And Lord, I pray that there would be those in this moment that were turning to you to say, Lord, forgive me. I know I've I've sinned against you. I've not lived as I should. Lord, I can't. I'm incapable. But I believe what's been shared today. 
and I believe you love me. And I believe you have a new life for me in Christ. And I want that life. Lord, forgive me my sin. I know I'm a sinner. I know I do wrong. And, and Lord, I just call out to you today. Save my soul. Create within me a new heart. Give me a new life. Give me a new direction. I'm tired of the pretending. I'm tired of wearing the mask. I'm, I'm tired of the same old, same old. I just want to know you. I want to, I want to abide in you. And I want you to abide in me. So I turn to you today and I call upon the Lord Jesus Christ because of his shed blood, because of his death, his payment on my behalf, because of his burial, and most importantly, because of his resurrection, I can have the hope of glory. If that's you here this morning and you have placed your faith in Christ, we want to know about it simply because we want to come alongside you and encourage you in your walk. And so would you let somebody know, Pastor Nate, Pastor Dean, Pastor, uh, uh, Dr. Wilburn, there's many here who, who, who could talk to you, can encourage you how to begin this walk. And so please, before you leave today, seek out someone to say, today I put my faith in Christ. And if God's word is true, and it is, and he says, you're a new creation in him. May those old things begin to pass away. And may all things become new. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for those, these folks that are gathered here today. Lord, as we go from here, I pray that you'll help us to be Christ conscious in everything. That will bear much fruit for your name's sake. And that the joy of the Lord would dwell richly in all of us. For your name's sake and truly for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.